uh, when you start getting towards that $3 million, you better have the right people in place. Then when you go past the $3 million going towards eight, you better have those systems in place and so on. There are rules for each breakpoint. And if you do not have those things in place and you grow past those great breakpoints, your company begins to self-destruct and you have no idea why it's self-destructing. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans coming at you. I host the Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. First of all, thank you so much for listening to our amazing podcast. If you find this valuable, this episode, please share, like, and send this over to a friend and make sure you leave a comment below that and show our guests some love. Secondly, also, very excited to be releasing, never before released to the open public, our Be Uncommon Mastermind, where I've had the fortunate opportunity to network and connect with our guest, uh, eight and nine figure CEO and founders on our podcast. And I'm giving the opportunity for our listeners right now, six and seven figure entrepreneurs that are wanting to level up, they want to scale their business, want to take their life and business to the next level, and they know that they need to surround themselves with higher caliber individuals. So I'm giving the opportunity to have access to my network. And I'm talking like Pascal Bachman, which ran a mid eight figure business, Fisher, which ran four uh, four time eight figure business owners, as well as we've got uh, Nick Cavuto, which has incredible network like Gary Vaynerchuk, Tony Robbins, and so forth. Uh, JC Granger, David Valentine, Mandy Ellison, so many amazing eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. And so, if you feel like you're stuck in a rut and you're on a treadmill and you feel like, okay, hey, I need to level up your treadmill. Okay, your business is is not able to scale up, move to the next level. Guess what? Then you need access to my network and some of these amazing eight and nine figure entrepreneurs. So make sure you go to christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now. The link is in the description as well. Make sure you click on that. Apply, you're gonna have a conversation with me. You and I are gonna see if you qualify. We're gonna have a cool conversation, dialogue, and then what's gonna happen is if you do qualify, I'll have you stuck in amazing six month, incredible intensive mentorship with some of the amazing eight and nine figure where you have one-on-one mentorship, you're able to have a conversation, you're able to connect, collaborate, have a custom plan on exactly where you're at and what you need to do to level up your game and your business and life. So that is christiandevans.com forward slash mastermind dash now and make sure that link is in the description below. Until next time, remember be uncommon. If you can, enjoy the episode. Cheers. Thank you so much for tuning in to Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. I'm your host, Christian D. Evans. And guys, we have someone very, very special on today. And after being in the industry for, for many, many years, being able to help her clients produce over revenue, over $2 billion and so much more, and as well as a rocket science. But that's not what we're going to be talking about today, guys. I just want to share with you a little bit about her experience. She has passion, experience, and leading international consultant, business advisor, mentor to elite experts and entrepreneurs. She has also been a keynote speaker at UMass Boston Northeastern University and Beta Gamma Sigma, the International Honor Society for Business Schools. She has also been a keynote speaker at New Skin Enterprises, most recent women's conferences, and served on the distributor advisory board 
for New Skin. She is, has the ability to communicate with the educated business leaders led. She has been named one of the top 25 trainers in the world by MLM Insiders and be found in a number of international publications. In her career in mergers and acquisitions, she has completed domestic and international transactions in industries including medical, luxury goods, semiconductors, and light manufacturing. She's also uh, has uh, has a MBA in strategic planning and international business from Northeastern University, where she has elected to Beta Gamma Sigma. She's a PhD candidate in applied mathematics at Northeastern University, where she finished all but the dissertation. She holds an MS in mathematics from Northeastern University and so much more. She's also bilingual in Italian and English and a working knowledge of French and Spanish. Please welcome my guest, Darina, Darina Lanza. How are you doing, Darina? I am good. Boy, I look pale. You know, you'd never know I have a really dark tan with 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 this lighting. So what can we say? I apologize. Well, hey, it looks good from here. And I'm really excited about jumping into this conversation because you just have a tremendous knowledge, but not just in one or two categories, but in remarkable amount of different categories. Uh, but I really want to kind of emphasis, uh, emphasize kind of what we were talking about before is just a high performance, right? It's It's definitely in today's world, it's very, it's thrown around a lot. And, and kind of, you know, walk us through like, what is a high performer for you? Because I think a lot of times we see ourselves, okay, hey, we're doing, we're producing, we're creating. But to me, I think when you get that higher level 10%, you know, the top 10 where you actually have habits, you're producing it, you're creating it. It's a matter of now it's just incremental, small incremental changes that sometimes people don't see, but you see and you, you understand. And as a high performer, I love to kind of uh, get it, uh, kind of get a example what that means to you and how you're really able to squeeze that limit to the last drop well to me being a high performer really means operating at a level that first of all you never thought possible when you got into whatever it is that you're doing but also being uh, i i believe it's critical to be head and shoulders above everybody else. So you become a category of one. And this is true whether you're working as an executive in a corporation or even an employee in the corporation or whether you're an entrepreneur, you've got a big business, small business, whatever it is. And I believe that 99.999% uh, of, well, actually more than that, <laughs> people out there are operating way, way, way beyond their potential because they just get the way we're raised with school and with you know the the hierarchies and corporations and all these people telling you this and that uh, the frame of reference is such that peak performance doesn't really exist in uh, the context where people normally reside and you've got to really get into a position where you're surrounded with people who are at that level so you, it can rub off on you and you can also begin to see that it's possible and then do what's necessary in order to get yourself to that level where you can shine not only in a work sense, but also in all other arenas of your existence. So when you're looking at someone, like obviously, you know, you, you probably work with individuals that are CEOs that are just, you know, they're already performing. And to me, it's like almost taking an Olympian, right? And then getting them even better, right? And it's like, I, I guess that's kind of what I want to build a context around for our audience a little bit. And Darina, I mean, definitely for someone like, 
to be able to already take someone that's already good, like they're doing the basics, right? And our audience, they're not doing the basics. They, they understand, okay, habits, you know, systems, processes, but it's like, okay, I'm at the top 10%. How do I really scale on those incremental things? So when you take someone like that's already an Olympian level, right? They're already producing a, you know, a high seven figure business, maybe an eight figure business. How do you squeeze? How do you, how do you take a look at their kind of habits or systems or way of thinking and really just squeeze that a little bit further and say, okay, this is what we need to dial in maybe by 1% over a year, but that 1%, hey, that's a massive growth on the back end. Hmm. When, uh, when you were saying this, I remember Franz Klammer's Olympic run downhill. 1976, and that is the epitome of operating at peak. I remember, he's at the gate, he's wearing this yellow suit, and off he goes. And it was, just watching this, it was like, oh my God, he's gonna kill himself. Oh my God, he's gonna kill himself. all the way down to the bottom and he beat, I it was, uh, oh, oh, I can't remember, it was Mario. It doesn't matter, we don't need to spend time for my memory to kick in. Anyway, um, it, he, he just cleaned the clock of everybody else because he got into that state where it wasn't a three-dimensional thing. It was, he was operating in a higher realm and to really get to that peak performance, you can't be thinking five senses. I remember in network marketing, I built a very big organization. And when I got to the top of the first company, people were coming up to me saying, uh, oh my God, how did you do it? And they were expecting to hear, well, first you do this, second you do that, third you do that, blah, 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 blah. But that's not the way it works. You have to become that person. And in network marketing, you're building an organization. So it's an issue of becoming an attractor of people. And when you're going to blow uh, out uh, the, the, uh, the Rusi brothers, <laughs> uh, you know, in the downhill, you have got to really uh, essentially do what Tesla did, do what Leonardo da Vinci did, and really connect into a higher dimension and then take that back into the three dimensions. It's a very esoteric thing. And being a mathematician, I've always maintained and I continue to be more and more uh, proven correct is that in our three-dimensional representation, we're really a, an infinitesimal of who we truly are in, in the overall uh, superconscious realm and our perception of reality is absolutely microscopic. And the people that really are operating at that peak level can make that connection to these n dimensions where n goes to infinity. Hell, if they even get to four dimensions, <laughs> you know they're doing well. Uh, and, and in fact, this is one of the things that when I work with people, this is one of the things we get into. And I teach. You know, the first time you hear it, you think, "Well, this woman's nuts." But no, not at all. If you talk, I mean, Elon Musk. Where do you think he gets these ideas? He's not sitting there, you know, with a pencil figuring stuff out, stuff just kind of gets downloaded to him. 
So you've got to get into that state where you can pull that knowledge beingness into yourself so that you can be head and shoulders over other people. You know, a lot of people talk about, oh, you improve 1%, uh, you know, 1% every month. And before you know it, you're going to be operating at peak. No, you're going to be operating at a very nice level, but you're still going to be living in this, um, this arena where you're really limited by the five senses. And I don't know if, if this ha you need to be older or something to figure this out. It took me a long time to figure this out because I very much, uh, yeah, I was getting people to operate at peak. Didn't know what, why or how or, you know, it was happening, but it was happening. Now I understand what was going on. You essentially need to get into state so it just comes out of you. It's not an intellectual or an emotional exercise. It's almost like it comes, uh, you know, from your heart, if you will. Does that make any sense? It does. And so let's kind of dive into this because, uh, you know, I'm always intrigued with this because, see, I always think that, you know, if you have person A and person B and all else is equal, the only thing that really stands in the way is, okay, hey, this, this peak performance, someone's just running their mind at a higher level. You may, you may be able to speak as well. You may be able to produce as well. You may have the same skill set, but because I'm able to have just a you know, higher energized focus or whatever it may be, that little edge, I win and I, out, you know, I outwin just because of that specific piece. So, Darina, when you were talking about, of course, kind of like molding the brain a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. And I've heard some certain ways of doing this, right? Because um, it's not acquiring skills, but then when you're molding the brain to living that creative creativity, that focus, that just living that, like you said, that flow that's just coming out of you. Um, what is that? How does that, how do you work on that? How do you create that so that your brain is so connected and interconnected? Because I have heard, you know, Albert Einstein and these other brains that have thought like so big, if you do a brain scan, obviously we could it with Albert Einstein, but if we did with some of the people that are high performers now, you see that they are just, their brain is so interconnected. And I love to just kind of talk a little bit more of the micro, why that is and, and how to make sure that we're, we're living at that level. Well, um, you're going to see some of it if you do the brain scans. You're going to see you know, multiple parts of the brain far, firing off, and of course, you know, you've got the reptilian brain, you've got the you know the limbic limbic system, and then the neocortex, uh, and of course the pineal gland. What's happening is that uh, the people that are really able to operate at that peak performance, whether it's conscious, whether they know that's what they're doing or they don't know what it is that they're doing, they're essentially connecting to their higher self, if you will, and taking in another dimension of themselves. There's a limit you can do if you're only going to sit there and go, okay, I know uh, the reptilian brain wants three things. It wants to know, should I run away? Should I eat it? Or should I mate with it? Basically, those are the three decisions. So, you know, when you're doing a sales call or something, you've got to get past the reptilian brain, which is the, the, uh, the bouncer, the brain's bouncer, in order to get into the limbic system, which is the, you know, where the emotional decisions are made so that you can 
you know, do all your limbic messaging and stuff to get people to go, oh my God, if I don't get this, I'm gonna die. And then they uh, justify the decision uh, from their neocortex. You know, they decide to buy something, you know, a big piece of consulting or something, or a, I don't know, a, a, a Bentley or whatever it is, it's an emotional thing. And then, and then they decide that's still very three-dimensional, very five senses. But if you're, <coughs> if you're going to be really creative and come up with things that are kind of like, oh my God, how did you think of that? If they come from somewhere outside of yourself and I maintain that it's out of a higher dimension where everything that could have happened in the past, everything that's happening now, everything that could happen in the future already exists. So you've got to be able to connect and pick it off and then come back into these three dimensions and figure out, hmm, how am I going to translate what I came up with in my meditation or in my dream, which is where a lot of stuff comes from, and translate it to what we've got to work with here in the three dimensions. And here we get into, you know, Elon Musk, here we get into Einstein, here we get into Leonardo da Vinci and the usual collection that people, people talk about. But all peak performance, I mean, really, really peak performance, not, not people that are great at what they do, people who are so beyond great that people sit there in, in stunned silence trying to figure out the hell did, how, how did this happen? I don't understand, right? So, so let me ask you this because, you know, a lot of the, a lot of our audience, uh, they're, they're at like 1.12 million dollar business owners, right? So they're, they're smaller business owners, but they want to scale that eight, nine figures and so forth. And like I mentioned, you know, a lot of them, I, I can hear that, that they've heard, okay, hey, I want to focus. I want to, you know, increase my focus. I want to increase my energy. And there's just like so many different avenues. And like, okay, I, I got to meditate. I got to work out. I got to, you know, eat my, you know, gut health and yeah, all that stuff, right? Kinda, yeah. <laughs> and, and I guess, you know, and it sounds like I'd love to just get your response, kind of like, where should they focus their time and energy on that will create the biggest result? Because I didn't, again, it's, hey, I know that we need to do this. I know that there's levels of focus. I know there's levels of, of peak statement, you know, peak state. But I'd like to see, okay, what is that first approach to get into it and then just stay consistent with that? Okay. <clears throat> there are two aspects. The first aspect is getting yourself into a position where you actually believe, like, intrinsically believe that it's possible. And that's where you get into the whole, you know, end dimensions and subconscious and this, that, and the other thing. However, another absolutely critical piece is to understand what it takes to scale. Of course, this goes without saying that you have to be in an, in an appropriate market, you have to have a good product and all that stuff. So let's assume all that's a given. And, you know, people, people, love your stuff, but stuff isn't just growing. Uh, there are uh, a number of things that you've got to do. There are breakpoints when you grow a business. If you're at that 1.2 level, at 3 million, it's a breakpoint. At 8 million, there's a breakpoint. At 15 million, there's a breakpoint and so on. We've mapped it out all the way to $4 billion and different things need to happen. First of all, uh, when you're in business, you want to have a situation where revenue per head is at a minimum of $250,000. <clears> it's better if it's $500,000. Excuse me a moment. 
<coughs> I was fine till we started recording this. <laughs> mm. But so many people that are in that 1 million, $1.2 million range, they have too many people who aren't producing enough revenue. And that includes the secretary, anybody who is full-time in the business, <coughs> excuse me, needs to be accounting for, not directly, okay? You could have the sales guys bringing in all the sales, but if you've got a secretary and another assistant and you've got the VP of this and the VP of that and the VP of the third thing and yourself, so you've got what, six people? You'd better, you know, you're right on the brink of disaster. If you're below that 250,000, or actually if you're below that $100,000, you're on the verge of going out of business. So the first thing you gotta do is make sure that each head is performing, if you will. And it's okay if you've got three people and you're bringing in the $750,000 and the other two are inputting data and the other one's shipping stuff out, that's okay. But you want to have that revenue to cover those people. Once you have that revenue, then you can go hire somebody else. And what do you do? You increase the revenue to a million. Then you can hire somebody else and you increase the revenue to 1.25 million and so on. But the ideal goal is to have a very high revenue per head. And that's an issue that a lot of people that are in the one to $1.2 million range, they got way too many people and not enough revenue to cover those people. So they're already in the hole. Uh, then when you're going uh, to uh, when you start getting towards that $3 million, you better have the right people in place. Then when you go past the $3 million going towards eight, you better have those systems in place and so on. There are rules for each breakpoint. And if you do not have those things in place and you grow past those great breakpoints, your company begins to self-destruct and you have no idea why it's self-destructing because you don't understand these things. You don't understand what it takes to actually scale and going from nothing to 1.2 million is not scaling. We're talking about going to 5 million, 10 million, 25 million, as big as you want and creating something that's actually saleable if you do want to get out or pass it on to your kids or whatever it is. So that's a very three-dimensional conversation, but first you have to believe it's possible. No, that makes sense as a baseline. You know, you have to have that that paradigm and understand that belief uh, because it all starts with belief. Uh, now, you you said something very interesting, and I want to kind of talk about this um, because, see, when we're looking at kind of the holistic picture of kind of uh, the peak performance and really training that mind, what are certain what are certain things or characteristics that you see on a consistent basis from your clients that you work with to help them get to that? that have helped them really embrace uh, at a faster pace. And what I mean by this is like, you know, is, is it humility? Is it just, you know, being adaptable? Is it, hey, you know what? Uh, and then also my part two of that question is, can someone hit peak performance without a coach? If so, you know, is it just through just learning and meditating and stuff like that? Or is it best to have a coach accountability to really help them push themselves to the next level? You have to have a mentor. 
most coaches are not equipped. Um, coaches in the class, you know, cla oh, you know, I'm an executive coach. And uh, I'm not saying I'm an executive coach because I don't consider myself an executive coach, but there are people who are executive coaches or, you know, they coach entrepreneurs or whatever it is. You've got to really get hooked up with somebody who already internalizes that evolved level and uh, they will help lead you to become that person. So, and, and another thing that's very, very important going back to how to scale, you've got to be attracting the right people. You've got to get the right culture in there and you really have to be that leader that people want to follow and they're excited. They take your mission as their mission. And now I'm getting back into the logistics of, you know, giving them an interest in the company and all that stuff, but we'll be here all, you know, all week if we get into all that stuff. But uh, no, you can't do it without, and I prefer to, you, can, you really can't do it without a mentor, whether the mentor is just massive consumption of uh, writings by super evolved people, or somebody that's done it before, which is really the shortcut. <laughs> you know, you don't want to take 68 years to figure it out. And then you go, oh, crap, I'm still at, you know, 1.2 million. Now what? Right. Yeah. So that's a long well, answer to a quick question. Also, let me add that uh, if you can find, in addition to a mentor, actually, it will be connected to the mentor a mastermind where you're surrounded with people on the same journey and a similar perspective, that's extremely useful because most of the people you associate with are going to be dragging you down because their vibration is much lower. You've got to operate at a much higher level of vibration, mm -hmm. which is where peak, performers, peak performers operate. No, and that makes perfect sense because, I mean, we, we definitely understand that that's kind of the whole, the aspect of like, obviously, facilitating a community and obviously the, the concept of, you know, the five closest friends. Now, my question as well is like, you know, let's say there's someone on here that's obviously kind of getting a coach that's already being mentored, that's already kind of a high performer. I believe sometimes, you know, success is, hey, look at me, I'm on the top of the mountain. Significance is, hey, how many people can I bring to the top of the mountain, right? In order to break those different hurdles at a very high level, 3, mil, uh, 3 million, 10 million, 100 million, right? A lot of it has to do with yourself, right? The mindset and living in that high performance. But also it has to kind of trickle down to your team. So let's say, for example, you have a team and you have yourself that, okay, I'm working on this personally. How can you turn around and add value to, to your team and facilitate a culture of high performance. You've got to be very careful who you bring into the team and you want to hire for, um, for the culture first. And uh, you, you really want to embody uh, who you are, your values, where you're going, all that. So it's visible to everybody. It'll also help you attract the right clients but you want to repel the people that are not of that same you know, vibration, for lack of a better term, people that don't embody uh, those same values. Because you, know, you, can, you can teach skills. I mean, the reason you're hiring people is to get them to do stuff that you shouldn't be doing because it's a lower value activity than what you should be doing. 
So you've got to hire uh, for the culture and then get them to learn the skills and then be the leader so that just by hanging around you and the team, they kind of elevate to become part of that team. And yeah, their friends are going to look at them like they're nuts because they become different people. You're going to be shedding the old people and attracting new people, even in your social life, because you're growing, you're becoming mm -hmm. bigger. So, uh, so it really, as the business owner or as the boss, you have to be the mentor for your people to help bring them up to uh, where you want them to facilitate the growth of the company with everybody marching in the same direction instead of, you know, you get all these little fiefdoms in some companies that are pulling in different directions and you have a mess. And also you want to be very, very clear to people how, what they need to do, what needs to happen in order for them to rise up within the corporation. You want them to feel like it's part theirs. You don't want to have these, you know, poor. I remember when I was in the corporate environment, it was like, okay, you're here. And it's like, well, how do I get here? Nobody ever mentioned that. It wasn't, a, of course, this was a long time ago. <laughs> now I, oh, I hope it's a little bit better. It is in many instances, but you've got to show people how to get what where they want to be within the context of your organization so that they will buy into the vision for the organization because they'll get what they want very few companies actually ask their employees where do you want to be in five years where do you want to be in 10 years how can we help get you there and that makes a world of difference in terms of well, growing business. Yeah, you say something uh, on your on your bio and you've been able to help your clients produce $2 billion, which is very, very difficult to do. Definitely when you're working with, uh, you know, these 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 companies and, and it's, it's just, a, it's a big, big, big um, result that you've been able to produce, which is really awesome. And what I'm always intrigued with during is like working with individuals that already have a business in place, right? They already have acquisition. They already got, you know, maybe they're doing mid seven figures, maybe high eight figures, whatever it may be. And they're really scaling, they're rocking and rolling. When you go to that company, where do you look for? What do you look for when you start saying, okay, hey, how do we squeeze the limit, right? There's always different like low hanging fruit that larger companies just, they don't, they don't focus on. And I'm curious, do you focus on the big one, the big, um, you know, macro project or something that you deploy it and that's how you create, you know, increase the revenue? Or is it more of the, like a ton of incremental changes in the company that really dial in, that really kind of, um, you know, fix the leaky faucet, if you will? Well, you know, obviously you want to fix the leaky faucet because you don't want to have holes through which revenue or profitability potential just kind of disappears. But um, you're going to have companies with issues. For instance, one company I worked with, and, um, they auto, automobile, automotive manufacturer, and 
they had a spare parts issue. Their spare parts service level was disgusting. It was like 40%. You needed an, you know, you needed a, a knob for the, the window thingy. This was a long time ago before everybody had the power windows. Uh, yeah, they were in the warehouse somewhere, but you couldn't find one if, if your life depended on it, right? And as a result, they lost a tremendous amount of market share when they should have been the leader. And uh, what we did is we came in and redid essentially the spare parts distribution system so that the service level went up into the, into the upper 90s and they were able to reestablish their dominance uh, for their new cars because they didn't have the reputation of, oh my God, you better hope nothing breaks because if it does, you're never gonna find a spare part or it'll take you know, six months to get it. So that was one thing, one, one approach. Another uh, thing, so that was fixing an operation that wasn't just leaking, it was completely screwed up. And there is more of that than you can imagine. In fact, we're in the middle of interacting with a software company. And I look and I go, how the hell are these people still in business? They're doing about 20 million. They're completely dysfunctional. And they've got all these little fiefdoms. Their culture is terrible. They should be, you know, 200 or 300 million in revenue, but they're not. And uh, the, the two owners, their two brothers, they, they just won't listen. And of course, you know, one level down, people are tearing their hair out saying, oh my God, you know, we need this and we need that. And they're going, well, you know, we don't think you really need that and da da da. So <laughs> that's a big cultural issue. Another company, this is cute, high resolution four color inkjet printer. They decided, and this was back in the, this was, this was a while ago before all the, all the computerized stuff came out. They were targeting the CAD CAM market. They figured that the CAD CAM market would want this four color inkjet printer, which cost $100,000 to do their renderings uh, after they were drawn on the computer. Well, they could not get traction at all. So I came in and said, well, wait a second. No, 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 no. Uh, what you want to be doing is finding somebody who's wasting a ton of money uh, doing stuff this printer could do way cheaper. And lo and behold, the um, electronic pre-press arena back then, they were doing four color separation using chromolins, which were very, very expensive. They wound up eating up this four color inkjet printer and the company went from essentially nothing to being sold for $25 million to a big company in Israel about four or five years later. So you get that kind of stuff. And yes, it's good to have, you know, the incremental improvement and have the perspective of squeezing stuff from here and squeezing stuff uh, from there. But in order to really make big strides, you want to have an expansion perspective. You don't want to be squeezing anything. You want to look and see, oh my God, here's this gaping hole that we can fill. You know, let's add this to the repertoire and add a hundred million dollars in revenue instead of five. No, and I appreciate you sharing that because I think sometimes 
we do think so micro and we're always optimizing, which is good, but also it's like, hey, what is that missed opportunity, right? What is another yeah. maybe product that we could align with our customers that we could <laughs> sell on the back end or upsell a lot of our clients? Uh, and so correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying basically is, yes, you do want to optimize what you already have and always, you know, um, uh, you know, fixing that leaked faucet. However, though, you also want to say, hey, you know what, let's get a fire hose in here and let's really crank this up and uh, which which is understandable. Now, Dorina, tell me a little well, bit about I, this. Yeah, I, I want to add one more thing to this piece. Something else you absolutely want to look around for is any business you might be able to buy that's either before your stuff, after your stuff, a bolt onto your stuff, whatever it is. Keep your eyes open for that. You don't have to develop everything internally. There's plenty of opportunity out there. Uh, and you can even do joint ventures. But anyway, we won't, <laughs> won't get into that today. Well, well let's, let's kind of walk into that a little bit because I would like to, because I had a, a, a conversation with someone uh, that's you know, kind of expert in uh, M&A. And I, I found this very interesting because a lot of companies, you really have to be financially in a good spot because you have to withstand a loss sometimes when you're acquiring. Uh, but I'd like to get the right perspective. First of all, for our business owners that are like 1.1, 2 million, um, I'd love to get your perspective on when you're looking at acquiring a company, do you, you look at acquiring a company that has similar services as you or very the same services as you? And then as well as um, what does that look like in regarding revenue, where they should be at in order to say, okay, you know what? If this company that we acquire doesn't perform, it's okay because we can withstand that loss as you know as shifts happen. Okay, um, you can acquire a company that is is doing the same thing as you. You can acquire a company that's doing something adjacent as you. You can do some acquire a company that is essentially a supplier. You can acquire a company that's essentially a consumer of whatever it is you produce, and that's fine. But when you buy a company, it's not like you're going to plunk. The, you buy a company for all right. You're 1.2 million in revenue, and you want to buy a company, and it's also a small company. And after it's cleaned up, it looks like the valuate because small companies they've got you know, the wife's Mercedes on the book and books and all kinds of stuff in there. So you want to see what sell your company. But anyway, that, I digress. Um, but you never pay cash. You don't sit there and go, okay, here's 2 million bucks, give me your company. And then the thing doesn't perform and you're screwed. No, no, no. What you do, the, you structure deals in such a way that you're protected. All right, you you have uh, <clears throat> you know they an earnout essentially. You pay them based on future earnings of the company. Of course, they're going to going to want to have some controls and guarantees. In fact, <laughs> there's this woman. She had a, a company that was manufacturing uh, this woman's Viagra, and a pharmaceutical company wanted to buy her company for whatever reason. And they came back and they said, uh, they offered her, I think 800 million. And she said, no, there's a problem with your offer. And they wanted to know, well, what's the problem? And she said, it doesn't begin with a B. So they offered her a billion dollars. She sold the company, but 
it had a clause in it that they had to pay her, I don't know, it would have been another four or five billion uh, over a period of, I can't remember how many years based on the revenue of the, her division. Well, lo and behold, the company bought her company and then did nothing with it. Essentially, you know, buried it. And so she wasn't getting the rest of the money. She wound up suing because she, she was smart. She put together in the contract that, you know, something that if they didn't do what they were supposed to do, the thing would wind up getting undone. She wound, she wound up not only with a billion dollars, but the judge ordered or the jury ordered the uh, pharmaceutical, the big pharmaceutical company to give back her technology. So she's got, a, she's got the billion dollars and the technology. So when you're buying companies, you want to be structuring things so that you're not on the hook one way or the other, whether you're the seller or the buyer. And there are many ways to do that. And that's a technical discussion that, you know, back when I was in M&A, uh, <clears throat> there are all kinds of very, very interesting deal structures uh, to get things to happen so that everybody is pleased, but it's never, yeah. it's never, I've, I've never done an all cash deal. Gotcha. Cause it wouldn't make sense. It's more of, like you said, the, the retention, but also when you acquire a company, because I've, I've got some individuals that, uh, one guy owned like a side hustle, you know, dot com or something like that. And so he wanted to acquire a podcast or I think it was vice versa or something like that anyways. Yeah. And he acquired it and it came, it was, it was literally the same, similar kind of service, the same audience. And so he just, you know, acquired it. And of course now his audience grew and now he could sell his stuff or whatever, uh, which I thought was a brilliant idea. But I always find this interesting because see, sometimes correct me if I'm wrong, those deals aren't always out there. It's not like some sort of like realtor.com or zillow.com. It's, it's, you got to go out there and hustle. And some people that some of those opportunities present themselves, they may not be really wanting to sell, but Hey, if you give them the right offer, you know, having that conversation. So I guess really, what does that outreach look like? Is it just cold email? Is it just network? Is it just, you know, that, that long journey? What does that look like? Um, Networking, definitely. Uh, you know, if you're in an industry, you pretty much know the people around you. <clears throat> you also want to know around uh, private companies where the owner is getting older and maybe kind of thinking about, hmm, my kids don't want to come in the business. Hmm, maybe, maybe I think I want to sell it, but it's not actually on the market. And uh, what, what uh, something that's very effective <clears throat> is really doing an outreach via mail. You put together, in fact, what we used to do, we would put together a one pager that looked like, you know, here we are, here's what we're looking for. It would look almost like a newsletter. It would look different than anything they would normally get. Uh, well, now, very few people get any mail, right? <laughs> uh, so I would personally stay away from email as much as possible because it's so difficult to get attention. I mean, you've got to really have a killer headline and then uh, you've got you know, 26 seconds for the guy to look at your email. And then if they read it and think it's okay, then you got two minutes where they're gonna go look you up on the internet. So if your internet presence is not very good, they're just gonna drop you right then and there. And then after that, maybe they'll give you six minutes or the, if they're interested after that, they'll give you six minutes for a short uh, conversation. And then after that, 
you can get into the serious discussion of whether it's possible to do something together, but the key is getting past that first piece. So uh, I personally would do some kind of a um, distinctive, uh, good looking thing that people would go, ooh, wonder what this is. And they open it up and they get an invitation saying, hey, you know, blah, 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 whatever it is. And you want it also personalized, obviously. Um, <clears throat> to the people. So you really, uh, I guess, I guess you, you do, you know, and I, I would do it by SIC codes, looking at people in front, behind, and beside, and go after uh, people with whom there uh, could be some synergy. Which makes sense. Now, when you're looking at like acquiring, um, and, and I mentioned this a little bit, but it's like, you do have to withstand kind of some churn rate, whatever it is. And you have to expect some churn rate, whether it's customers, whether it's, you know, employees. Um, when you're going into, you know, acquiring, kind of explain a little bit about the difference of mindset that you have to have in acquiring, uh, because you do have to, it's, it's not like, hey, um, it's, it's my business and I can think about my business, but it's, it's more of, okay, hey, what can I, I guess the question is like a better question when you're looking at this is hey, what can I lose? And am I willing to lose this if it doesn't work out the way I want it mm. to? Well, when you're acquiring a company and I represented this one company and the people, uh, the biggest publicly held company in India decided they wanted to acquire this jewelry company in the US. But one of the things this jewelry company had was incredible distribution through flyers. And at the time, a lot of this you know, low-end jewelry was being sold through these flyers and they just had a very successful operation there. And it didn't matter how the fit of the, comp uh, how the, fit of the company wa companies were because the company being acquired, the only thing they cared about, they didn't care about any manufacturing, they didn't care about any accounting, they didn't care about anything, they just wanted that distribution. So that's kind of one extreme. Another extreme would be if you find a company that you wanna merge into your company, one of the biggest issues is the culture clash. And if you cannot handle um, merging the two cultures together so that everybody is happy. The whole thing can be self-destruct, self, the whole thing can self-destruct. You can lose whatever you put into it and what you tried to acquire can just dissolve or disappear. That would be the worst case. Well, that's what I think is so interesting about this because there's so many factors um, that, you know, and, and everything is just like buying real estate. There's naturally going to be some, you know, skeletons in the closet, you know, quote unquote, right? Yeah. Uh, and you just have to come into it and expecting it. Uh, one individual I was listening to that uh, they were telling me a little bit about as we were having this conversation, it's like you cannot be emotionally involved. Like if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work mm. out. You move on. Uh, is there any validity to that, Darina? Absolutely, you cannot be attached to the outcome. Uh, mm -hmm. It's you know that would be analogous to, to being attached to the outcome of, uh, let's say you're a consulting company, and you you know you you speak to the prospect, and the prospect decides they don't want to do it. 
they don't like you, you're too expensive, they go with somebody else, you cannot be attached to that outcome because if you are, you will be crushed and that will impact your ability to move forward because you're being crushed by the past. You're gonna wind up killing your company if you keep that up. So you absolutely, uh, it's business, right? You worry, worry about, and you don't wanna be emotional even either when you're looking at, that, at the whole issue of high performance. That's an issue of expanding. You're not going to start crying if you can't expand enough for your tastes, right? You just keep doing it until it works. Mm -hmm. uh, and with business, I was having a conversation the other day with a client and she was absolutely shocked because people ask her to raise money and she's very much interested in, you know, digging wells in Africa and helping, you know, the poor orphan baby deer and <laughs> whatever it is. And she was absolutely mortified that these investment bankers wouldn't care that the business is helping build wells in Africa or saving the you know, orphan baby deer. I said, it's business. They want to return. It's their job to invest their clients' money so they get a return. They couldn't care less about. You know, that's for that's for charity. That's for you know the, the you know gift giving and that kind of thing. It's not for business. You know, business is business. You have to treat it as such. You can't be a bleeding heart because you're going to have a real problem if you're a bleeding heart. Yeah, that, that is a very Sorry. good point. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I think it's a very good point because see, one of the things I found very interesting about, you know, specifically about that situation is, you know, Tom's was going out there and like, hey, every time you buy a Tom's, one of the shoes or one of the pair of shoes would be distributed to, to another, call, uh, another country that is in need. And even though that is really nice, what was doing, what was happening was that that, that country was relying on that tremendously. And those, those industries um, couldn't prevail and produce because there were free shoes coming in, right? So even though it solved that free shoe concept, the industries that were there is actually hurting them. And what I found very interesting is, is I was listening to someone else that was talking about more of empowering, right? Hey, it's, you know, and business is the opportunity to empower and everybody facilitates even higher. And that's one thing I always found interesting about wealth itself is someone that is, becomes a billionaire. In order to become a billionaire, you have to make a lot of people wealthy, Right. Yeah. And if you have that kind of concept, it's like, oh, then that's not too bad. It's, it's, it's OK to have billionaires because they produced and created a lot of wealth. And I think that's one of the reasons why I want to have this conversation with high performance, because I think a lot of us were thinking, OK, I am doing this. I feel like I'm doing this, but I know that there's more. Right. There's that four minute mile for myself from my own level. And, you know, and, and I know that we all have. Life is becoming more busy. We have attention. And I think, you know, attention spurts. Right. And what I mean by this is we can't be a best best father, best mother, as well as be a, a billion dollar business owner. And the reality is, well, if you stay focused and stay energized, leveraging what Doreen is talking about, there definitely is that capability. Um, so let's talk about like one of your clients that you have seen go from, okay, these limiting beliefs to all of us in this massive, and I'm not just talking about financial business, right? That, that could be a key of it, mm -hmm. but also maybe just relational, maybe spiritual, maybe, you know, emotional, whatever it may be that says, okay, you know what? I've unleashed my full potential in holistically. Yeah. Well, before we do that, I want to make a comment about Tom's and Shoots. 
the whole Toms and Shoes is all well and good because they're doing good. But the main thing that that's driving is the, is the customer buying the toothpaste because they give away the shoes. If somebody, if there's an investment banker who's going to acquire Toms, they don't care about the shoes. They care about the numbers that Tom's is doing. And that's the decision, uh, the basis on which they're gonna make decision as to whether to buy Tom's or not, not because they're giving away shoes. That's to drive the consumer to buy their stuff. So anyway, um, <clears throat> but yeah, what, um, <clears throat> what you'll find what you'll find happens, all right. So, so, so you'll, so you'll, so you have this guy, and he's making all this money, and he's running around, he's being Mr. Important, and so on, and he's ready to get divorced. He's got an ulcer. He's overweight. Uh, <clears throat> his kids hate him, etc., etc., etc. And what winds up winds up happening when you are okay doing all that stuff. It's like running, it's like panting as you run by the coach to show how, how hard you're working. A lot of people, and in fact, I've, I've got this one woman in the UK who is impossible to reach. And she's impossible to reach, and I need, I need, to, I need to get her to work on this here. She's impossible to reach because she has this, this idea of self that she has no value unless she is extremely busy, right? So when you get somebody, and of course she's got five kids and she's like, oh my God, I gotta be here and do this and the other thing, but she's not complaining about it, but she's winding up driving, uh, she's driving away opportunities because opportunities can't reach her because she's just being a, what is it, the, um, the Tasmanian devil. Remember the Tasmanian devil? Yeah, it's like <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, so the cartoon. And and with her, the first step is to get her to chill and change her belief system that her value lies in how busy she is. Once you eliminate that how busy you are or the person is then they can step back and relax and begin to elevate, begin to expand into that higher vibration, higher level of consciousness, whatever it is that you want to call it. And then all of a sudden what happens is their perspective changes. In fact, I've got one client that uh, that is exactly what's happening with her. She was operating at a very low vibrational level, working really hard, working really hard, working really hard. And then it became a, oh, wait a second, you know, chill out and all of a sudden she's elevating. And when you do that, all of a sudden your relationships begin to change. You wind up getting in better shape. I don't know how it happens. It's not even a conscious thing, by, but by just elevating and essentially becoming a, a better um, simulation of yourself or closer to your higher self, you're in a position where you allow more stuff to come in, and that includes the relationship with, you know, your husband or wife, the relationship with your kids. You relax a little bit and maybe begin to exercise, heaven forbid, uh, and and uh, that kind of stuff. And what you find is uh, some people like that, you know, they're they're crazy, they're running like maniacs, they're making a pile of money, they think they're successful but they've got type two diabetes, you know, they're fat, they're 
you know, all these problems. So what do they do? They go and find a weight loss coach. That's not the problem. Okay. The weight will disappear. The health will increase when you elevate and expand. Same thing. You get these women. Oh man, you know, there are these executive women and they're so successful and why can't I find a good man anywhere? Of course, you're asking the wrong question because whatever question you ask yourself, your brain will come up with an answer. Uh, like, you know, why am I so fat? It's, the brain will say, because you eat like a pig and you never move, right? That's not useful. <laughs> you gotta have better questions that you're asking. Uh, and I was just talking about uh, this with a colleague yesterday, and uh, she does work with these women. And she said, yeah, it's amazing because she shifted into this, the stuff that I'm doing, which is elevating people into peak potential, but, you know, different types of people, different, you know, she's, she's from a diff very different type of background, so she attracts different people than I do. Um, and she said, yeah, you know, what happens with these women? All of a sudden... They have no problem attracting somebody when they just chill and they expand into being their ideal higher self, who they really are, instead of this perception of I'm a really hardworking executive or business owner, which is really a, a shell, a facade that they're putting out so nobody can see who they really are. You've just brought so much insight, Narina, and, and I appreciate that because there are so many different, like, you know, almost prejudice uh, upon ourselves that we put bias on ourselves that we put on and say oh i have to be busy i have to do this in order to be successful and and that's one of the reasons why i love to talk about this stuff because i see so many people we're hustling we're moving we're, we got a lot of things going on right we're busy but the reality is that you know are you doing focused work are you doing a high performance focused work and the reality is you know, majority of us aren't, honestly. We're just where our attention is, is, is just taken with so many minuscule things that really you can delegate responsibility, you can push that off your plate, and you can focus on the biggest things and activities. But in order to do that, like you were saying, Darina, is you have to really mold your brain to the highest level. So then when you can get yourself in a spot, and whether it's meditation, whether it's on a walk, whether it's whatever, get yourself in a state where, okay, now I can focus on the bigger problems. And how do I find that $100 million gorilla, right? Mm -hmm. And it's those big things that push ourselves forward. Uh, just to share with you, you know, one of the things is we have 100,000 listeners on our on our podcast. My goal is to get it to obviously several million. But right now, my, my first phase is half a million right now. And I'm thinking, okay, what's the big gorilla that will push us forward in that, right? And, and what's interesting is that Obviously, you're facilitating the right questions. You're asking the right people. The right people will start be kind of in, in, your, in your path to be able to facilitate that conversation. But like you're saying is if I'm not in a situation where I can get a – and I need to get better at this – molding my brain, having a higher level, really focused work, then my attention is being branded on um, – Oh, is my podcast being published? Is it looking good? Is the episodes good? Is everything SEO blog? Like you've got all these other things that are causes attention. But the reality is you need to – silence everything a little bit and really just calm everything down and, and just by working on those those higher performers but it takes it takes energy it takes intentionality and what i found is that a lot of times correct me if i'm wrong people don't come to you until they're in massive pain until they realize i cannot do it any longer i have to and i've always been one of those people like 
I don't want to be like, I'm smoking my last cigar, cigarette. I'm like, oh man, I got lung cancer. I got to stop, right? I'm going to die in two days, right? I don't want to be that person. I want to be proactive and say, hey, let me not even be in that situation. And sadly, majority of us, it's not until that pain until we start really making those massive changes, massive just. And I'm just curious, why do you think that is? Why do you think so many people drive away from pain more so than drive toward pleasure? That's always been the case. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure why that is maybe it's because they don't believe that having the pleasure is possible because if you look at mainstream religion if you look at uh you know corporations everything has to be hard and painful and you're guilty if you don't do things right and all this garbage and uh i think that they don't believe it's possible to just chill and relax. It's okay. Yeah, you know, you don't have to <clears throat> be this um, crazy person. But historically, that's one of the main uh, tenets of, of, of humans. It's you, uh, it, you avoid pain more than you uh, work or work, I shouldn't say work, uh, go towards pleasure. And, and there's also upbringings, and again, I go back to mainstream religions, many tell you that having pleasure is bad, and if you don't work hard, uh, you don't have value. And uh, we can get <clears throat> into the conversation of archetypes, mind types, and wealth styles. In fact, mind types is, are essentially the operating system that got installed in your tiny little brain when you were under two years old that have uh, really, really molded you to who you are and you don't even know it. So in order to get away from that stuff, you've got, to, you've got to have somebody that can help show you how to recognize what actually is going on. And once you see it, you go, oh, well, that's stupid. And it kind of goes away. You know? <laughs> Recognizing it you know, is not necessarily a trivial exercise. But once you see it, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> and then it just, it just kind of dissolves. That's a little bit off topic. But... Um, yeah, I, I, I think the culture and the upbringing is really to blame for a lot of the garbage that people are suffering through. Mm, wow. Well, Doreen, I, I just appreciate the, the immense value that you brought on today, just <laughs> talking about high performance, talking about, you know, really just dialing that in to mergers and acquisitions to, you know, kind of, you know, finishing off with just, you know, there's a little intricate things that we can all do to really produce. But like you said, the importance of a high performance coach, a, a mentor, right? Someone that can lead you through that, that path. The, and, and really keep us accountable to the next level of, of our capabilities. Uh, now, where can our audience reach out to you and be part of your community and be part of what you've got going on? Uh, probably the, uh, well, first, I'm very easy to find. Uh, my LinkedIn is my name. I'm the only Dorina Lanza on LinkedIn. But uh, I also have uh, the Circle of Elite, Circle of Elite Entrepreneurs.com is my website and uh, right in front, you can sign up for my email list and uh, also get a, uh, a uh, PDF I put together about becoming the Pied Piper, how to attract your ideal affluent clients, but it applies to anything else that you do. 
And uh, I also have a community circle of elite entrepreneurs that, uh, you know, if you reach out to me, put you together. And I am also now forming a new mastermind group. I just decided we need a mastermind group for all of this stuff. So uh, if uh, somebody would like to talk about that, I'm more than happy to have a conversation. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. That is very exciting, guys. And those links will be in the description below. So make sure you click on that. Make sure you reach out to her. Make sure you just be part of that community. Because like she was talking about, yeah, you really are the 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 average of your five people, seven people that you surround yourself with. And if you're they're all making a million, two million, hey, guess what? You'll never be able to make 10 million and 11 million, right? So you have to find yourself that next level. And Darina, again, I appreciate just the value that you brought. Is there any last words of wisdom that you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go? Um, yes, uh, what, what you're going to find happens as you elevate, all of a sudden you're going to begin to get invited to places where you would never imagine anybody would have invited you to. Uh, in fact, this just happened to me last week and all of a sudden I found myself surrounded with new centimillion millionaires and billionaires that I had not met before. You know, small group, 60 people, but it was because I made a connection with one person in particular. And he said, oh my God, you got to come to this thing. And that's what will happen with you uh, as soon as you begin to expand and elevate. Somehow you're going to attract those people and you're going to get invited into those circles. It's not an issue of beating your head against the wall, trying to figure out where these people are hiding. They will come to you. That's awesome. That's awesome. And guys, that is Darina Lanza. Guys, those links will be in the description below. And that is Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. Until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Yo, this is Christian D. Evans, Journey with Christian D. Evans podcast. We thank you so much for listening to this amazing episode. If you feel and you know that this was valuable to you, please show some love to our amazing guest by liking this, by commenting on this, by making sure that you do a nice five-star review and just show some love to our guest. That'd be really awesome. Also, make sure you share this with a friend, a family, a colleague, someone that you believe would bring value to their life right now. Uh, and guys, we just want to say thank you again for just being part of our community. If you want to have more resources, don't be afraid. Go to christiandevans.com. You can actually schedule a phone call with me or you can send me an email at christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. That's christian.evans at beuncommonifyoucan.com. Always love to hear some feedback and let me know what is the number one or two things that you are struggling in your business and your life and we'll make sure we have those conversations. Guys, that is Journey with Christian Davis podcast. And until next time, remember, be uncommon if you can. Cheers.